welcome to another episode of This Is HCD. My name is Jerry Scullion and I'm a human-centred design practitioner based in Sydney, Australia. Before we jump in, however, as this podcast is recorded in the Sydney CBD, I'd like to acknowledge the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation as the traditional custodians of the land where we meet today and pay our respect to their elders, both past and present. In this episode, we caught up with Jenny Philippe, who is GM of Service Design at Telstra, Australia's largest telco. In this episode, we asked the big questions about human-centred design and large organisations, why design teams alone are not enough to become customer-led, and why we need to look at a sustainable way to scale human-centred design in organisations. Thanks to the guys at More Than Metrics, who have given us another €40 Euro voucher for our community. More Than Metrics own MrThinker.com, an online store for service designers and design thinkers. The keyword to send in is Persona. So the links and contact details to be in with a chance to win that are in the show notes. So let's jump straight in. Today in the podcast, we have Jenny Philippe, who's the GM of Customer Experience Design from Telstra in Australia. It's one of Australia's largest telco, or is it the largest telco, Jenny? It is. It is the largest telco. And also joining uh, Jenny on the show today, we've got Scott Howard, who's the Customer Experience Design Director from QBE. Delighted to have you both on the show. Thanks for having us, Jerry. No, No worries. So Jenny, let's kick off. Tell us a little bit about your involvement at Human Centre Design and your role at Telstra. Sure. So um, I've been at Telstra for a couple of years and had different roles that have evolved around uh, always a human-centered design. But most recently, I have a team um, who is looking after service design activities, cross-channels and cross-products, so quite agnostic of any particular area, but just looking at the customer themselves. also have a part of the team looking at building human-centered design capability as a, as a skill and, and a mindset and a culture for the organization. And then a third group looking at um, embedding testing and evaluation through throughout the entire life cycle of a product or service development to ensure that we're bringing that objective point of view and the customer in as, as much as we can. All right, excellent. Scott? Yeah, so I basically look after the customer experience team, but the focus is human-centered design, and there's a, a real um, intent around that to really bring the customer to the center. Uh, but what we do is basically what Jenny's team does, maybe a little less evolved and mature, but we have service designers, business designers, researchers and so on and we do from strategy through to -to end-to-end delivery and we figure out where we do that across the business where the maturity and the readiness is there and where we can help. So today we're going to discuss uh, why customer experience teams is not enough to become customer-led and why we need to look at a sustainable way to scale human-centered design in organizations. So Looking at organizations and also referring back to Jared Spool's The UX Tipping Point, which I recently saw, what does the organizational behaviors look like for uh, that don't have any human-centered design activities going on at the moment? I'd say what I've observed in, in my career is that companies are very focused on metrics and business-driven outcome and financials. And where HCD is not mature, it's really difficult because you don't always have metrics in the beginning to demonstrate what HCD can bring. And it kind of shuts the door quite often. So behaviors around that are quite challenging because it's like, well, prove it to me. And until you've actually given the space and the time to prove it Mm. by just going through the process and showing how different it is, then it kind of turns in circle a little bit. Yeah. So that's some of the behaviours I'm observing. It's kind of not letting go of certainty around what we already know and how we like to operate. Mm. So what can organisations do, Scott, like to move those organisations forward? What can we do as designers? 
Well, I think there's one step just beyond what Jenny mentioned, which is some organisations think they're thinking about the customer, but actually they're just thinking about themselves as if they're, they're a customer. Mm. So I think the first piece is to actually put them in the customer's shoes. And we talk a lot about walk in their shoes or see the world through their eyes. So a lot of that is the change and awareness piece first before you can get towards that permission to play to actually get involved in their part of the business mm. and actually start doing design. So what kind of activities work well at that level when you're trying to demonstrate the benefits of human-centered designness? Sometimes shock tactics. Sometimes <laughs> pulling out the seriously though, pulling out those real customer stories, mm. taking those metrics that Jenny mentioned instead of a percentage, what's the real number? How many mm. real people are actually experiencing this, whether it's retention or pain points or whatever? Mm. Making it real however you can. So we can use our design skills there with visual design, storytelling, role play, whatever it takes, but, mm. but it's got to be uncomfortable. Yeah. What about you, Jenny? At Telstra, is there any tactics that you use to try to get the stakeholders involved? Yeah, we have um, lots of opportunities now that are offered to anyone in the business and also most particularly for leaders. And at the moment, we have this amazing uh, program that one of my colleagues are driving around um, customer complaint immersion. Mm-hmm. And any C-level type of person is taken through a whole experience and actually engaging with a real customer issue, talking to them, obviously not saying that they're a leader or anything and just having to experience with the customer what's going on and helping them resolve the problem. And having that first-hand experience with them is really confronting and very eye-opening and I can see on the floor after that time spend with the customer then following up personally calling back making sure everything's working and also taking actions in terms of changing what's not working well in the organization challenging the processes that we have or or the policies that we've put in place for Mm. probably no reason or that kind of outdated now yeah okay So just looking at organizations that are not mature from a design perspective, what does a high-functioning, human-centered designist, large organization look like? From my perspective, it is embedded across every level of the organization. It starts really with the mindset. So from the leadership and all the way down, it's how people think Mm. about the customer and the the real empathy that they would have for them and for the employee. Mm. And some really great places where you can see that coming out very specifically Disney is a really good example where Mm. everyone is a cast member. It's all about the customer experience. There's policies and processes in place, but then it's really empowering individuals to make the right decision when it needs to be made. Mm. And it's observing what the customer is doing and really getting into their reality. And I see where it's high functioning is really in every role, but it's not just the talk. It's Mm. also the doing and it's enabling people to try it out and yeah. trusting that they'll make the right decision. Yeah. That level of trust is quite critical, I think. Yeah. So like going back to the topic of like human-centered design at scale, like in your experience was educating this the board or the stakeholders uh, the first step or is it take more like the Atlassian model of trying to get the core people who are going to use your product more upskilled? I think it's both. I don't think it can be successful if it's one or the mm. other. So there's definitely a ground up movement I can observe in mm. some organization and certainly at Telstra where there's a lot of people now really embracing the techniques and the mindsets. But then there's also a very strong leadership support is required for that. And it's that deep understanding of what that means from a leadership point of view. It's not about teaching mm. your CEO how to do customer research or ethnographic research or this stuff. It, that's not relevant. It's more the mindset and the leadership attribute that enable design and that mm. bring in the customer and humans, really. Yeah. More than customers, it's also about the empathy for your people. Yeah. 
and it's if you make those two things happen concurrently then you get something quite amazing so do you bring the stakeholders and the, the people who are doing the work together onto projects actual live projects is that uh, that's a, that's a way you could do that. I think yeah. it will depend on the the culture, of mm. the current culture of the organisation. Some leaders would need to be taken to quite a, a flashy, mm. trendy place like Stanford and really be immersed in those mm. you know prestigious environment to really D school uh, type stuff. Yeah, stuff like that. But then also um, taking them through the real life of customers, embedding them into testing sessions in the other side of the mirror, seeing what's going on. Yeah, that's kind of the combination of both. It's like the theoretical and feeling yeah. that you've got this on your resume now and you, you can yeah. talk about it. But then Design thinking and design doing. Yeah. Exactly. There's two different worlds. Well, what about you, Scott, at QBA? Like, what's worked? I think there's a piece around, there's, it's one thing to sort of, let's say, allow design and designers into your organisation. There's another one to fully embrace it. Mm. So to really get it and have that penny drop. So what has actually worked for us, one example is we do human-centred design sort of crash course training as an awareness campaign, if you mm. like, but we get our senior, most senior leaders involved in that too. And it's a cookie-cut course, if you like, that's an abstract product, nothing to do with insurance or QBE, but it does show that process and, and there's a few key points that we make through that, so hopefully the penny does drop, that this is a mm. methodology that can add value and solve a different kind of problem yeah. in a very different way that's quite different to what yeah. QBE has done before. So like looking at the training at a granular level, mm-hmm. The training that you provide to the stakeholders is obviously going to have to be a bit different to the training you provide to the people who are like the doers. What's the goals for the stakeholders versus the doers? What have you noticed? So for us, for the stakeholders, it's it's about awareness and acceptance, if you like. Mm. And we cap that process with the the mantra that a first aid course doesn't make you a doctor. (laughs) So you've got a few tools and you might know what to do and it might, might save your life one day. But... Um, you also know when to call us when you need some experts and you really need mm. to dive deep. Yeah. But it's a very tricky balance and I think it's unique to every organisation what, what's actually right. Yeah, because mm. I've seen in certain organisations, and I know in government in particular, I'm thinking of this scenario, where the people on the floor go and do some design training and then they come back with their, their piece of paper and then they sit down and they're all excited and they're, they're buzzed. But two things, it, it kind of makes the role of the actual designer more difficult but also then potentially doesn't serve the organisation any better because they just go back into their old behavioural ways of working. So how do you avoid that happening? Well, we're looking to evolve what we're doing on that front to offer a mentoring model. So we do do the training, but then we do check-ins and a little bit of mentoring. It sort of helps the scale a little bit too. So it helps Mm. us extend our capabilities so others can do to some extent human-centred design or at least be more human-centred in what they do. Mm. We're not measuring it at the moment but anecdotally of the people who come through that course and then really using the tools that we've given them because there's still some confidence to build as well. So mm-hmm. people, do, people do get stuck and everyone's human. Yeah. Jenny, do you have anything to add to this? Yeah, look on that. We've, we've had a few um, test and learn opportunities and we definitely at some point were in the training space only and that doesn't work. You can equip someone for a day mm. and then, you know, as you said, there's either the belief that they know it all and they can do it or the actual inability to do anything with it because then they go back into an environment and a system, as you know, like a, not a technology, but a system that stops them from doing anything they've learned. And then there's that frustration that might come across yeah. with that belief that actually I've been exposed to all this fun stuff. Mm. I really want to do it. I, can't, I don't think I can do this here. Mm. And then you might lose a great champion. Yeah. So it's really a combination of 
training and, as, and to Scott's point, mentorship, coaching, on-the-job experience, which yeah. takes effort. So you, know, you do need to have a dedicated team coming in projects with those guys yeah. to give them support so they don't feel that it's mm. all on them. Yeah. But then also in parallel, there's a lot of other work that needs to happen in the organization from a HR point of view, you know, looking at KPIs, job description when we hire people. So mm. we bring in that skill set first in yeah. next time. Um, there's also all these systemic issues that need to be addressed, and that's where leadership is critical. So through awareness around HCD, we also need to bring awareness around the flows of the system that the leadership is supporting, you know, that hierarchical approach doesn't yeah. work. Empowerment, empathy, fail fast, all this yeah. stuff needs to change. But you need to change your capital planning process. You need yeah. to change your resourcing approach. You need to change your structure and yeah. your operating model. It's, it's a lot of things yeah. that need to happen for it to be successful. And especially at the size of the organizations that both of you guys are working at. If you were to set up something like an innovation lab, as I've heard that terminology being used quite a lot in Australia, by the time you get people through that innovation lab once, you guys got tens of thousands of people working for you, it's almost like the guy who's painting the Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco. When he finishes at one end, he has to go back to the other end and start painting again. So um, how do you ensure that that's not the case, that they're constantly learning when they go back to their desks, so to speak? So what we found, actually, interestingly, is that there's a lot more human-centered design people across the organization than the org structure might say, or the you know there's yeah. that central customer experience team yeah. there, but then... You've got Mark you, here. Is, we've got Mark here. We've got literally probably hundreds of people that have skills and capability in that space. Yeah. It's really about how do you build that champion network mm. and align language, framework, because we all have our own ways of working in our pockets of the business. Mm. And we're going through that activity at the moment. It's, it's so interesting because, you know, we're not hung up on two yeah. certain things. We all want the same outcome. So it's mm. bringing those forces together. So then whoever goes through training and coaching has buddies around the business. They, it's not all down to that central function. It's, mm. it's kind of useless if we just look at it that way. Yeah. So it's building that network. And letting success stories create, so then leadership wants more, and they hear about something amazing that's been done in that area. It's like, oh, I want to do this too. Yeah. And that kind of builds up. That groundswell. There's, there's another slant on that too, which you haven't quite touched on, which is you need to train some of the people in the business to be designers who have experience within the organisation mm. and have the networks and connections, and obviously the aptitudes to, to be a fully fledged designer. But we're finding that's really important at QBE. We can't just hire externally and bring in designers. It just won't work. For the, the knowledge, is it subject matter the, expert knowledge? Knowledge, yes, but also the, the networks and understanding because it's mm. a very relationship-driven organisation as most are. Yeah. To be able to affect an outcome, if you like, we need people who have experience in the business mm. as well as experience in human-centred design and ideally we want both. But we're quite conscious of that mix. Mm -hmm. So that is one time when, yes, we do actually need to train non-designers mm. who have the aptitudes to be human-centered designers yeah. to, to enable those design outcomes. Mm. That's really interesting because my next question was about the involvement of human-centered design moving from that sort of ground zero place and as the maturity increases. Have you seen the role of the designer, like can I say designer, like UX designer, service designer, using those roles interchangeably? How has that changed on a day-to-day -day basis? What do they have to do differently? One thing we've seen from when we started was came in expecting we'd be able to line up design projects and do them. What we're finding is we need a lot more strategy, although I don't really like the term strategic designer. We kind of all have to be to be able to mm. end up in the position where we can do successful mm. projects. 
and a lot more change. Mm. So a lot of it is about the change journey, inspiration, and whatever words you want to use. Mm. As a sustainable team, we need that capability almost more than service design. We can even potentially outsource that and bring others in. But if we haven't set the scene and got the permission to play, mm. doing the actual design is a bit useless. Yeah. Um, and beyond that, I would say we need to know where it's going to be impactful. Mm. So we could do a great app for a particular product line um, might be a really fun project that I'd love to do myself but the, but the impact on the business yeah. might be really minimal and that could actually be detrimental to the case if you like for yeah. design it's a prioritisation of ideas and yeah. desirability, feasibility viability type stuff yeah absolutely but kind of before you start playing in a certain space mm. you've got to pick your space to play and mm. we're not nearly as complex as Telstra but both are complex businesses with distribution channels and yeah. lots of products mm. and so on so many designers are in both your teams like uh, overall like in the organisation how many designers do we have so we have a, a digital team as well as a, a CX team but we have less than 10 designers in, yeah. in an organisation of actually globally over 14,000 wow okay so what about you Jenny is there Big teams. Um, so in the customer experience design team, there's less than 10 people. Yeah. And then there's groups of designers across the business and then also people with customer experience title yeah. everywhere. Uh, there's a massive area also called Telstra Digital. There's lots yeah. of UX, UX designers that, as well. a lot of people there, yeah. So there's, you know, probably hundreds, but yeah. not under, operating under one prioritization mm. activity. So we've, everyone, as you said, Scott, I couldn't echo more all the stuff you said before. It's yeah. about that coordination and the strategic vision. So mm. also bringing those strategy roles, corporate strategy, channel strategy, product strategy, that, again, is so many roles across the business yeah. and then per line of, of business, they're all going, doing mm. their own thing. We need that human-centered design approach into yeah. strategy. That's where we start. Yeah. And then we build that common vision across the board and everyone can bring it to life and execute it in their own environment. But it's that sense of bringing it together. Yeah. Yeah. So to get the vision across, um, and we discussed a little bit about the role of the designer changing depending on the maturity of the organization. So if an organization wants to become more design-centric or human-centered, design-focused, why not just hire more designers? Hmm. First of all, there's probably not enough designers on the market in Australia, for sure, even if you outsource it and bring it from mm. all around the world. But then also you need that combination. I think Scott touched on that before. You need combination of skills and it's not pure designers that you need it's people with the right mindset and some of those tools and activities that you do in human centered design but you also need the business acumen you also need agile you need lean startup mm. you need so many other skills that come together it's that cross-functional diversity mm. being brought together that makes the business more successful because we think outside of the box and we don't take things for granted mm. and having just designers won't cut it so it's it's really evolving existing roles embedding design in it but also embedding agile and embedding other mm. other techniques that all together start from the strategy to designing it to delivering that's what you need and that change is massive as well so it's it is so change capabilities incredible it's yeah. the ability to deal with uncertainty and constantly challenge how you work and what you how you think and being able to do that it's it's almost not a capability it's a core thing in people's dna yeah. it's really hard to recruit for so, see, I, I sort of echo that in that a designer isn't a designer. You can't just go out and get a... There's no two designers that are the same, that have the same background. Mm. 
we've actually, we as an organisation have struggled with that when we're used to hiring underwriters and so on and so forth where there's a far more logical career path mm. to try and pick the right designer first and foremost there aren't many of those in the market so for us it's like a it's like a startup but within a big organization so you kind of need to be comfortable in both it's very mm. greenfield we don't know how this is going to work a designer is a maker fundamentally in, in my opinion anyway but hey you might not be able to do any making for maybe a year yeah. You have to lay all the groundwork, so you've got to be up for that. Yeah. So this narrows the pool massively, mm. massively. So that's one reason you can't just hire more designers. Yeah. But the other is you need, and I'm saying it a lot lately, permission to play. Mm. So not just, okay, fine, we'll do human-centered design, and yes, you can come and work on my part of the business, but I get it, and I really want you guys to mess with my business and tell me as experts what we should do. Mm. But there's a really big piece too, I think, around if you're doing design properly, there are multiple points where you don't know what the answer's going to be. Mm. And that's really uncomfortable. Mm. And the way we probably all deal with that is, is through experience. Mm. I can remember the first few times of that, and I've seen it in some of the newer <laughs> designers, where it's scary. And yeah. the way you get through it is based on experience and trusting a process, as cheesy as that might sound. Yeah. But to scale that in an organisation, we don't know mm. the answer. Yeah. That's really tough. Yeah. I don't think anyone's really nailing that. Yeah, and it's also the experience to be able to say, I don't know. And it's taken me a long time to be able to kind of go, look, I don't, I don't know what to do here. You know, I need help. That's been the biggest thing. Even me saying this now, I'm like, well, I'm kind of going, oh, my God. It's still a hard thing because for a long time you had to put on that facade of saying, I know everything. I can fix everything. Mm-hmm. But um, in organisations, it's going back to Jenny's point about the stakeholders, making them feel comfortable enough to hear that. Like if a a stakeholder hears that the person doesn't know what they're doing, that doesn't show lack of confidence. It shows more confidence, in my opinion. Whether you're external or internal, you've got to sell that. So how do you sell design if you don't know the answer? Yeah. Yeah. Written off in the first conversation. So it's a very tricky line to walk when you know there's value add there mm. for us it's, and we've stuck to let's show that it is a methodical process mm-hmm. we've actually found other functions within the business have recognised we're in some ways more methodical than mm. they are because we have to be we have to demonstrate consistency and method yeah. and as the value comes out as the, the pennies start to drop but mm. it's definitely a marathon and not a sprint yeah. and we can see in the organisation the struggle between other ways to solve a problem so if you look at short-term tactical approaches such as Lean Six Sigma, for instance, where Mm. we're demonstrating value straight away. You're cutting out stuff out of the business. You're cutting stuff out of processes. You're Mm. reorganizing things. And right in the moment, in the next months, you're seeing changes in numbers. Where in in the meantime, you have this human-centered design team working on strategic thinking around, hang on, let's not even design anything yet. Let's just make a strategy around who are our customers? How are we going to win with them? What's the value prop? Yeah. It takes time. And everyone's yeah. in that short-term mindset. And you're competing with people in the short-term making wins that are tactical but not changing the environment mm. in the longer term. So you have to have that two-speed economy in your own team yeah. where you're building the future and mm-hmm. dedicating people to that because if no one does it, we're going nowhere. Yeah. But also having a SWAT team in the short-term Picking up those, you know, as Scott was saying, this app that you want to build or this great project that sounds really shiny, it's not going to produce that massive transformation for the organization, but it's going to build a small story yeah. to keep momentum and keep people patient that yeah. 
they need to trust that process. A little pocket of success. Exactly, and that's what we're trying to kind of shift now because a lot mm-hmm. of our team are not doing design per se at this stage. Mm-hmm. So many other things need to happen before building capability is one of them. Mm-hmm. There's no point of us all being busy delivering three projects a year with 10 people. Yeah. How much of a difference would, have, would we make? What would you make? Yeah, absolutely. The bit that I've found works quite nicely in that early stage of trying to build that momentum for human-centered designers is quantifying a success elsewhere. And um, the service design, Birgit Megler in Austria, Germany, she's quantified like for every pound you spend on design, it's 26 pounds back. And that's the metric that I keep on going back to and I refer and I've started to keep a repository of knowledge to share depending on conversations that I have with, with senior C-level or board people mm. to, to be able to share afterwards to put their mind at ease. Yeah. Um, Can I build on that? There's yeah. actually um, in the team we've looked at ways also to start measuring things and we've had um, that function I was talking about before which is about testing and evaluating experiences throughout the life cycle and okay, yeah. the team looking after that has done an amazing job around quantifying over the last year it's three, four years how many projects they've tested pre-launch how many critical business issues, how many critical usability issues they've identified mm. and then measured the amount of money you need to spend to rework on some of these. It's yeah. quite incredible. And having just those numbers show the case that all of these projects, had they not been tested with customers, would have gone to the market yeah. with all those issues. That's excellent. Yeah, so that's, that, that's another way to look at it. Yeah, it's a really nice uh, model to build uh, confidence. You were going to say something else, Scott? I was going to say, yeah, we've got a, similar to you, we've got a repository of case studies mm. of different flavours depending on the stakeholder group that we're talking to. All about human-centred design and being human-centred, but if yeah. it's very much a cost and profit outcome, we need to demonstrate this as an example from mm. fridge manufacturing in China and getting ethnographic insights, and, and there's a real point to it at the end that the differentiating feature of that fridge is a 20-cent piece of plastic... But if it wasn't there, they would yeah. be different to any other fridge. And then a whole bunch of others, that's some are more around the emotion and so on, depending on the group that we're talking to, and we're constantly building on those. Yeah, okay, nice. Mm. Nice. So we're nearly um, at the end of our podcast here, and I'm going to shoot over to Mark, who's going to ask uh, the, the new segment, Mark's three <laughs> dreaded questions from hell, as we're, we're referring to it internally. Mark, over to you. Jenny, these are for you. Um, I guess it's three questions. Um, the first one is, I guess, what uh, professional skill do you wish that you were better at? I think for me it's about storytelling. This is coming all the time in everything that we do. It's about how do you tell the story with those metrics, with whatever talks to your audience. And because you strongly believe in what you do, you don't always do the job around going around the organisation, selling stuff, selling all the beauty of what your team could do or what your skill set could do. So it's about that. Storytelling is critical right. to get better at that. Question number two is uh, what one thing in the industry do you wish you were able to banish? <sighs> so we're talking HCD industry or industry in general, like business? Industry in general, I think. I'd say that whole power, you know, this is my patch and you need to go by my rules. It's can we just let people do their stuff? Mm. Just give them permission and you'd get amazing results. So look at it not from an ownership perspective rather than what's the best outcome. Yeah, okay. community. I'm yeah, sounding nice. communist here. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, what's the one message, I guess, that you give to an emerging HCD talent for the future? 
I'd say it's about going for things, not waiting around to get given an opportunity. There's so many great opportunities out there, and you just go and ask. And not also not focusing on building your experience only. It's like if you don't know, that's okay. You go, you give your your time and your passion, and people will give you a chance. Just do it. That's a just recurring recurring thing for this yeah. question. But yeah, we need you there. guys. Just come and <laughs> ditch uni. Just come. Oh, be cool. Ditch uni. Okay. Um, so guys, listen. Thank you both so much for for coming on the podcast today. Uh, Jenny Philippe, if anyone wants to get in touch to you about roles, is that something you want to maybe? Oh call yeah, that's out? a really nice uh, opportunity. We are recruiting for senior service designer at the moment. The team, the team will definitely grow in the future as well. So. Yeah. come and join us and change the world you can hit Jenny up on the Slack channel as well this is HCD Slack channel Jenny's on there um, and Scott uh, thank you so much for being here is there anything you wanted to add at QBE maybe a shout out for jobs or anything at the moment at the moment we're um, still trying to get that permission to play so <laughs> that's okay that's alright <laughs> but I'm always happy to chat about yeah. HCD with anyone who wants to reach out to me yeah. absolutely and Scott's on the channel as well this is HCD thank you guys for joining us thank you thank you that was great so there you have it i hope you enjoyed the episode and if you'd like to be part of the conversation or community hop on over to thisishcd.com where you can request to join the slack community and help shape future episodes and connect with other designers from around the world thanks for listening and see you next time